0: The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. <clears throat> the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, but can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, "'I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, "'Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel.'" Jesus answered, "'Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these.'" And he said to him, "'Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man.'" This is the gospel of the Lord. To you, Lord Christ. So, Doug and I spent New Year's in Miami this year. It was very cold here. I'm sorry for you for that. But not really. It was spectacular, not because I am particularly a fan of the beach scene but because of the reason that we were there. When Doug was in culinary school, he met and befriended a classmate whose name is Victoria. Eventually, Victoria confided in Doug that she was gay. Fast forward, and years later, almost two years ago now, Doug and I met up with Victoria when we were in Miami on spring break. She asked me then, if I ever get married, will you be the one to do it? And I said, yes, And sure enough, about a year later, she called me, chatting excitedly about being engaged, wanting a New Year's Eve wedding. Doug and I then began making plans to usher in 2018 in her backyard, where she and her fiancé, Seda, were to be married. Now, first, you should know that Victoria and Seda are Cuban, and by that I mean Cuban, like all caps. Victoria's mother is named Margarita, and her father is named Fabio and is perhaps the most fantastic dancer I've ever met, but I will come back to that later. Seda's mother, also named Seda, is Cuban. Her father's name is Jerry from Connecticut. Truth be told, I know, it's a funny mix. Truth be told, it was the most fun, the most exuberant wedding I've ever attended. While that is true, it is the journey that this couple and their families have made that is truly remarkable. Both brides come from devout... Catholic families. In fact, Victoria's mom goes to Mass every single day. So this couple's engagement announcement was initially met with opposition on both sides. They were, in fact, even estranged from their families for some time. There was intense pain on both sides. There were conversations pleading for the families to accept and support their engagement. There was genuine struggle to understand, as parent said to child, I just don't understand it. This isn't who you are. And the child responding, how do you know who I am? This is who I am. Do you love me less because I'm not what you expected? Eventually their families not only accepted their daughter's engagement, but they grew to be very supportive and finally very excited. When I read the declaration of intent at the beginning of the wedding ceremony, Asking the assembly if they will love and support Victoria and Seda in their life together, you have never heard a louder and more resounding, We will. Scripture was read, prayers were prayed, vows were exchanged. I'm not exaggerating when I say that within 30 seconds of their kiss, the dance floor exploded with Cubans dancing. Which leads me to say my only regret from this wedding was not dancing more with Victoria's father, Fabio, who was kind and patient in teaching this German clergy person to dance. After several futile attempts at refusing to dance with Fabio, I gave in, and afterwards he said to me, you see, tonight you stepped out of your comfort zone, and you see, you have survived, and you are better for it. And he was right, and he would know. I share this story with you because it raises <clears throat> some very interesting questions about expectations and identity in regards to both our scripture readings for today and also the upcoming vote here at Gloria Day in a few weeks regarding its status as a reconciling in Christ congregation. And our gospel reading for this morning, the question that Nathanael asks Jesus is a very heavy one, and it often does not get its due attention. We often prematurely skip to the part about Jesus, but if we skip over Nathanael's question too quickly, we miss some very, very important stuff. So first, Jesus sees Nathanael, and he declares, Ah, here is an honest man. And then comes Nathanael's question, How do you know me? It's a very heavy question. How do you know me? If you really know me, you will find things you do not like. How well can another person really know another person? Indeed, we spend much of our life, I feel, trying to cover up who we really are, lest others discover we are not nearly as honest, kind, forgiving, intelligent, or whatever that they think we should be. I just celebrated my birthday this week. In my 46 years of life on earth, I have discovered that nobody has their act together. Some people just do a better job of hiding the fact that they don't have their act together. So back to Nathaniel. Is his question an acclamation? In other words, is he impressed that somebody has finally recognized his honesty, his integrity? Or is he a bit cynical here? Challenging Jesus that if Jesus really knew Nathanael as well as he claims to know him, he perhaps wouldn't think so highly of him. In other words, is Nathanael saying to Jesus, You think you know me? You don't know anything about me. Because if you did, you wouldn't love me. It all comes down to expectations. What does Jesus expect Nathanael to be? Does he really expect Nathanael to be without fraud Without deceit, completely honest and pure, does such a person exist? And what does Nathaniel expect of Jesus? Does he really think that Jesus could ever love him, that somehow Jesus is incapable of loving a sinner like him? Is Jesus expecting too much? Is Nathaniel expecting too little? Expectations. I remember... One time when I was in seminary, taking a trip to the new Mellory Abbey in Piasta to attend the nighttime Compline service, which always happens at dark. As the bell tolled and the monks silently took their places in the dark choir, I noted with distraction and irritation one monk wearing light-up shoes. Right there in the middle of this silent, dark church, Right there, as we were preparing our hearts for worship. Right there, in a strict monastic order. Light up shoes. I was horrified. I was offended. Where were their sandals? These guys are monks, after all. I was so bothered by this that I went back to the Abbey the next day and went straight to the gift shop to talk to Brother Felix, the only monk who was allowed to speak. And I explained to him my affront at last night's atrocity. When I was finished, Brother Felix chuckled, and he said, Oh, yes, that would be Brother Martin. He is, you see, 93 years old. His back brings some terrible pain, and in these last years of life, he thought he, thought he might have a little bit of fun. Why are you offended? What did you expect? His question Plagued me for a long time continues to plague me still, for it applies not only to Brother Martin, but also to the church and to Jesus. Brothers Martin, Brother Martin's choice in footwear offended me because it did not fit my expectation of the kind of shoes a monk should wear. Similarly, parishioners are often offended when pastors don't fit their expectations. The reverse can also be true, I might add, that sometimes parishioners don't meet pastors' expectations. And finally, when the church says or does something we don't like, we are offended because it has failed to meet our expectations that somehow the church and Jesus should think and act the way I think and act. This happens all the time with all kinds of issues, whether they be politics, sexual orientation, abortion, capital punishment, whatever. But we need to remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about issues. It's about people. Jesus does not come preaching about the generalities of healing. He touches people, and he heals them. He does not write broad essays challenging religious authorities. He flips over their tables and calls them out in their hypocrisy. Jesus does not lecture about rampant sexual immorality. He lifts an adulterous woman from the dirt, forgives her, and sends her on her way. Jesus does not pontificate about opposing Roman occupation. He seizes the title of king of kings and is executed for it. Jesus has the courage to ask the question that lies at the heart of Nathaniel's question. What did you expect? Jesus knows full well what it's like to not meet the expectations of other people. He knows that some people wanted a passionate revolutionary that would lead them to freedom from their Roman oppressors. Still others wanted a learned rabbi who would model for them spiritual perfection. Still others wanted a moral example, a leader who abstained from drinking, a leader who fasted, who kept his temper in check and watched his tongue. What did you expect, he asks. Whatever you expected, I'm the one you get. I'm your Redeemer, whether I meet or fail to meet your expectations. In today's gospel, Jesus begins to gather and collect a motley group of followers, his disciples, who are a cross section of humanity. They sometimes get Jesus, sometimes not. They are thief, they are traitor, they are denier, they are jealous, they fight, they are insecure. They are not a collection of issues. They are a collection of people. They are us. The miracle in all of this, then, is not that Jesus calls or loves perfect people, but that Jesus calls and loves all of us and all of our imperfections. And furthermore, that Jesus invites us into relationship with him, asking us to let him know us, all of us, to open our hearts, all of our hearts, to him, trusting that he will not judge or harm, trusting that his kingdom will expand to include and never contract to exclude, believing against all logic, against all logic, that this man is God and brings the gift of grace not to the world in general, but specifically to you and to me and to every single person starting with the ones that this world excludes, neglects, and judges. The one who asks you to follow is the one who loves you without discrimination, without prejudice, without a false expectation of who you should be or condemnation of who you are. The one who asks you to follow doesn't love a general idea of humanity. Jesus loves you specifically, in particular, and expects nothing more than for you to be who he created you to be. Amen.